this is Monique. And Landon. And I always think, oh, everybody's probably heard us before, but I, I guess it's probably best if we introduce ourselves. Because this could be the time. first time they've listened to us. Exactly. So my name is Monique McLaughlin, and I'm an emergency nurse practitioner in a large urban hospital in British Columbia, Canada. And my name's Landon, mm -hmm. and I'm an emergency nurse at mm -hmm. a large hospital, and also a critical care transport nurse in smaller towns. There you go. We were just recently told that when they listen to our podcast, we're a little too quiet. You, I wish you could see Landon eye-rolling right now because I've never been accused of being too quiet. Ever. So we are trying very hard to speak louder for all of those people who've given us comments that our podcast is a little on the quiet side. So thank you for letting us know that. But as I said, I was quite... Um, shocked because I've never been accused of being quiet, have I? And never will be again. No, never will be. So Landon and I have been conferencing for the last, it feels like months. Uh, last month we were at NINA, which is our National Emergency Nurses Association speaking, which you heard in our previous podcast. We talked about cognitive bias. And this month we were at the Canadian Association of Emergency Physician Conference. Landon was the track chair for the theme teamwork in the emergency department and we spoke about communication or perhaps miscommunication between physicians and nurses and we decided that was a great topic for a podcast since you and I certainly have opinions about that so here we are here we are so it all started when we were trying to build this topic and we started or I started to think about this book uh, back in the 1990s which is not that long ago I'm sure Landon has something to say about the 1990s Oh um, well, no because I was alive then yeah <laughs> and some of you who are around may have heard of a book called... However, if you want to be totally horrified... What's that? Someone born in 1990... Yes. ...can drink in some places. Now. I know, it's a bit shocking. That shouldn't be allowed, should it? Like 1990? They're in university, maybe. No, I don't want to talk about it. So um, there was a book in the 1990s called... you were already called, a nurse. <laughs> yes, for a while then. Uh, there was a book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, and it was by uh, Dr... John Gray. Doctor, I use the term uh, loosely. It was a, the best-selling nonfiction book in the 1990s, and it was criticized for perpetuating gender stereotypes. And many believe that the perceived differences between men and women are ultimately a social construction, and that socially and politically, men and women want the same things. But it made me consider if we change the wording to emerge docs are from Mars and ED nurses are from Venus, we could explore the relationship between physicians and nurses and some of the challenges within that working relationship. What do you think? Landon. I think that's great. Yeah. So why does that relationship matter? Well, in 2008, the Joint Commission, which we've said before, but yeah. this may be the first time you're yeah. listening, is the, it's the major accreditation and certification body for healthcare organizations in the U.S., put out a paper titled Behaviors That Undermine a Culture of Safety. In 2010, Shen et al., in the Journal of Advanced Nursing reported on a questionnaire survey they did on a hospital environment, nurse-physician relationship and quality of care. In both of these, it was stated that safety and quality of care that patients receive depends on the quality of practice environment where care is provided. And since physicians and nurses make up the largest group of individuals within this environment, their relationship is a major determinant of the quality of care in the practice environment and therefore impacts patient safety. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. In 2011, Sid Leckie, a senior nurse scientist in the Office of Nursing Research and Innovation at the Cleveland Clinic and Hickson, 
the Senior Program Administrator in Business Intelligence at the Cleveland Clinic. They seem to have long titles at the Holy Cleveland cow. Clinic. That wouldn't be a business card. That <laughs> would be a imagine? business novel. Hi, my name is Sedlicki. Here's a book that has my title. <laughs> title. That's all it has. That's kind of long titles for the Cleveland Clinic. So she proposed a professional practice environment model. According to this model, the professional practice environment is the place where nursing and medical care take place. Perceptions of relationships between nurses and physicians is a good indicator of the quality of the practice environment. I love that when we talk about quality, right? We always totally. talk about different things. And so I love that they acknowledge that the relationship between physicians and nurses actually reflect the quality of The quality of, the of care, totally. Because yeah. it's easy to say, well, yeah, but we can all go to work and not be nice to each other. Mm -hmm. Well, no, this is saying it actually impacts Packs patient the outcome. Care. Yeah. Yeah. So there was also an opinion piece in the Canadian Nursing Journal in 2012 where an oncology nurse by the name of Teresa Brown, who wrote a book about her first year in nursing, said that nurses get no education in working with doctors and doctors get no education in working with nurses. Then we put those two groups together and say, go to work in this high-tech, high-stress, high-stakes situation. Perhaps not the most thought-out plan. Maybe not. Not really good. Now, you would think that changes in healthcare culture, increased interprofessional education, evolving professional standards, scopes of practice, demographics, more than 50% of medical students are females, and there are increasing men in nursing, and social norms that are gradually transforming the traditional physician-nurse relationship, that would not be the same thing, right? Like, we probably are better at that. Hmm. But are we? I don't know. Wow. Well... In 2015, a survey was done using this is the, so funny the hey? professional practice and environment assessment scale or the PPEAS PPs or PPs. <laughs> I don't know if they called it PPs, but I'm calling it PPs <laughs> from now on. It was developed by the people with the longest job title in the world, <laughs> exactly, Sedlecki and Hickson, to assess nurse and physician perceptions of the quality of the healthcare environment. It looks at the presence of positive physician and nurse characteristics, organizational characteristics, so the beliefs about the importance of respectful communication and collaboration, mm -hmm. and the frequency of joint patient care decision making. Okay. So the PPs response rate was 33%. You just want to keep saying PPs, I'm don't using you? PPs 47 <laughs> times in this sentence. I think just so. you wait. Exactly. So the PPs response rate was 33%, with a final sample composed of 822 PPs nurses and 542 PPs physicians. That's actually not bad for the physician group, right? Like, I, I mean, certainly the nurses would respond, but that's not bad. No, it's yeah. not bad. So all respondents of the PPs were employees of a large healthcare <laughs> center in the Midwest. Most nurses were female, 95%, and most physicians were male, 72%. The mean age for the sample was 44 for both groups, uh, and both groups had many years of professional experience, averaging out to about 18. Okay. So although the PPs groups did not differ by age, they did differ by years of professional experience, with nurses having more experience than the physicians. So okay. the, the, the mean age there was 18. But more nurses. Lots were. of senior nurses in the survey yeah. and more junior physicians in the in survey. The survey. Okay. In, I can't believe I called it the survey. The yeah. PPs. I know. You keep I, wanting I missed to say two chances. I missed two PPs. chances. I know. Lastly, the nurses were asked whether... Oh, no, you forgot this one. Oh, yeah. well, look at that. I know, you forgot that You part. moved the screen. I'm so sorry. I was looking I could, away. I know. In general, physicians rated the overall environment better than nurses, and they scored physician characteristics and patient care decision-making better than nurses. However, 
nurses were more likely to hold stronger views on the impact of respect, communication, and collaboration on patient outcomes or organizational characteristics than were the physicians. Hmm. The type of nursing role was found to be significant, with staff nurses and staff managers rating the quality of the professional practice environment lower than clinical nurse specialists and nurse practitioners. Interesting. That interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Also, nurse practitioners had a more favorable perception of physician characteristics than nurses in other roles. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting. It is so very the staff nurses thought things were worse off than yeah. the professional practice side mm-hmm. of the house. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Lastly, nurses were asked whether a physician's attitude affects how you ask a question or makes you reluctant to support a change in a patient's clinical condition. To report a change. Did, did we need to research this? Uh, no, probably not. If at three yeah. in the morning you know you're going to get your head bit off. Yeah, you're not going to call. You're, you're not as inclined to call. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some of us would be like, no, I'm calling anyway, I don't I care. Know. But let's be honest, some people wouldn't. Yeah. So of the 807 nurses who answered the question, 55% said yes, it would impact them yeah. making that question or call. Yeah. When they analyzed the question, they found that the level of education was not predictive of a yes or no response. Mm. So that makes it difficult to maybe come up with an intervention. Yeah. However, again, nursing role was predictive. So staff nurses were most likely to be affected by a physician's behavior and the advanced practice nurses least likely. Interesting. Exploratory analysis also found younger nurses, which they define, of course, (laughs) as less than 45 years of age. (laughs) Thank you. Still a younger nurse. Yes. And or less experienced nurses with less than 20 years of experience. Sorry, you're out. You're out. I'm out. (laughs) Were more likely to report being affected by negative physician behaviors. So it's really not big surprises no. to me. The, the less experience you have or the younger you are, yeah. the more you're, you're going to be influenced the by right? the, the, in, uh, the personality of that um, yeah. style of response you're going to get. Exactly. And trying to be nice. I know. Exactly. Could you tell? That was awkward yes, for me. Yes, I know. It was a bit awkward. My normal wording would be yeah, four not letters that. and not exactly. that. So it's not surprising that the Joint Commission has stated that communication failure between nurses and physicians was found to be one of the leading causes of preventable patient injuries, complications, death, and medical malpractice claims. Hmm. In fact, it's been reported that communication failures are the root cause of 60 to 70% of adverse events, most notably deaths related to delay in treatment. That's shocking, actually. That is. I think that's quite sh- shocking. So, so it's easy to say, oh, well, we don't all talk nicely. And rah, rah, yeah. Rah. But you know what? Planes crash because of this. Exactly. And 60% of our patients die. Because of this. Because of this. Yeah. And I think it is important, even though you and I probably sit here and say, well, of course, the survey, those results make sense to us who are nurses. But, you know, when we're actually having to explain to somebody else and we have data that supports, wow, this actually makes a difference um, and the impact it has on patient outcomes, I think it is important for us to acknowledge that those surveys need to be done. Those numbers need to be there for us to actually affect change because this is going to hugely impact patient care and outcomes. Uh, For me, it's interesting when you talked about the survey. I didn't take the survey because I don't live in the Midwest, but uh, when they were talking about how nurse practitioners and advanced practice nurses are much more favorable um, in their response when talking about communication with physicians, I found that really resonated with me quite a bit because transitioning from being a nurse to an NP had... um, it had its challenges, and perhaps the biggest challenge for me was role definition, and particularly how to communicate that role 
definition to the public, to my physician and nursing colleagues. And it made me very reflective of the roles of nurses, physicians, and NPs, and that interplay between these disciplines, which of course leads us to what everybody likes to say, oh well, you know, we all work in collaborative practice. But I actually kind of struggle with that a little bit because I'm not entirely sure what is collaborative practice um, and what does that mean for me, right? Well, so as is defined by the World Health Organization, collaborative practice, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Made we sense, can't huh? even say it. Yeah. Collaborative practice occurs when multiple health workers from different professionals' backgrounds provide comprehensive services by working with patients, their families, caregivers, and communities to mm-hmm. deliver the highest quality of care across settings. So that's obviously a World Health view, yeah, of including it communities, is. countries, continents. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in the microcosm of, of yeah. an emergency department, say, it would be, you know, collaborative practice, how nurses, physicians, social workers, OTs, PTs, lab people, whoever you have Absolutely. working there, work yeah. together. This isn't a really new concept. Since the 1970s, there have been many reports from conferences, national organizations, and reports calling for an interprofessional approach to education and patient care. Mm-hmm. And and for the newer practitioners, this probably is like, why are you telling, telling me this? Us about but that. we yeah, both started in a time when... That wasn't really... That, no. It wasn't. No. I, I, kind of a new concept, especially totally. back in my day. You got one time a day to talk to the physician during <laughs> yeah. rounds. Rounds. Where, Absolutely. And you told your charge nurse who told the physician. You did not talk to the physician, physician. directly. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that was definitely not the model that we experience now. And, and no. as we've seen from some of this research, mm-hmm. not a model that actually helped with outcomes. Exactly. Um, so the evidence is overwhelming that healthcare delivered by a well-functioning, coordinated team leads to better patient and family outcomes, more efficient healthcare services, and higher levels of satisfaction among healthcare providers. Now that's all very interesting. And um, There was a journal article, uh, the Journal of Clinical Nursing in May of 2017, and Tan et al. did an integrated review of 22 studies looking at nurse-physician communication. It com- concluded that nurse-physician communication still remains ineffective, even in 2017, despite all the stuff that we've talked about. The problem is current interventions only address information needs of nurses and physicians in limited situations and specific settings, but cannot adequately address the interprofessional communications skills that are lacking in practice. So we're better at giving report because we're giving information that's important. Um, But we're not good about just generally talking to one another when there isn't a specific reporting structure in place. And this disparate views of nurses and physicians on communications due to different uh, training backgrounds kind of confound the effectiveness of these current interventions or strategies. Uh, Dr. Susan Phillips, who is a family doctor and a professor of medicine in Queen's University, co-authored a book on the effect of gender on nurse-doctor relationship. She states that in hospitals, there are two kinds of hierarchical relationships, one based on power, which we kind of all know, and the other on gender, which I I probably did know. Um, And the historical reality is that most physician doctors have been male and most nurses have been female and her research showed that the male-female hierarchy was the one that was most operative rather than the nurse-doctor one, which I found weird. Interesting. I found that really interesting. 
Dr. Phillips, with the lead author, who was a nurse, Barbara Zilek, found that in the responses to scenarios presented to study participants, female nurses were more co collegial with female doctors, but also more ready to criticize and instruct them. With male doctors, female nurses were more likely to either go along with errors the physician made or make gentle suggestions, for example, about different medications. They would not undermine the authority of a physician if the physician was male, nor would they intervene even when they observed practices of the male physicians that were neither optimal nor evidence-based. So overall, Phillips believes patient care is better served by nurses who are willing to be proactive and speak out about potential errors as female physicians or female nurses do to physicians uh, who are female. It's safer for the patient, obviously. Now, as more women become not just general practitioners, but specialists, uh, Philip thinks that the nurse-physician relationship will evolve and become more equal. She hopes, however, that changing attitudes about what team members can contribute rather than just changes in the sex of the players will be the impetus for improving the relationship. I think that what she would hope for is instead of looking at a hierarchical view is that we see doctors and nurses as different rather than one is better than another one. And I, I, I've, this I've is, always had that impression yeah. is that, is that you, you picture two funnels yeah. and you put one of them right way up and one of them upside down and a, a physician is taking a whole lot of information yeah. and trying to funnel it into one diagnosis yeah. and a nurse is taking one possible diagnosis and considering all other possibilities and that's a really good all thought. other possibilities not being other diagnoses that ugh, the physicians missed but more but how's the family going to be impacted by yeah. this how are we going to get them home how are we going to do yeah. this how are we going to do that and, yeah. and that those two work well together absolutely i'm not a specialist in necessarily funneling down yeah but i'm the specialist if you're telling me they have an mi great you're out yeah you've diagnosed them yeah we will take it from here doctor yeah and we will have everything arranged and we will get everything set up at home and we will make sure that they get home safely and you don't have to worry about writing an order for a taxi voucher i will get them home safely yeah and I find that that's always kind of how I've noticed the two professions work. Well, it's interesting, you know, very recently I observed two kind of female, male kind of gender type things. One of them was a patient came out and spoke to one of our male emergency physicians and asked him if he was the nurse. And I thought, Let's see how this is going to go. Wow. <laughs> it was quite amazing. And he was quite lovely about it. He goes, no, I'm one of the physicians. Did you need one of the nurses? Because, you know, I can get a nurse for you. Like, what was it that you needed from us? And, oh, I, I actually do need a nurse. And, oh, okay. So he went and found one. But he didn't get upset about it. Now, interestingly, the other day, there were two female emergency physicians and um, somebody, one of the patient transfer uh, patient, the patient escort, uh, came up to them and said, oh, can I, are you the nurse here? And they were really upset about it. And they had a little side conversation where they said, well, this is why I no longer wear scrubs, because I didn't want to be um, mistaken for a nurse. And I thought, isn't that such an interesting Dynamic. I, I, dynamic. Yeah. And I think you as a male, I, and I hate, I know you hate when I say when we say or denote the profession by uh, the gender, but right. you know, as a as a male who is in a nursing profession, do you find that something that well, is difficult have for been, you? I, I get called doctor all the time. Yeah, and when I walk into a room, it, the assumption is that I'm the physician. Yeah, and 
it, you know, is it the way I, I walk in, present myself? Is it my gender? Mm-hmm. Is it, who knows? I care yeah. not to necessarily over investigate that yes. because the first thing out of my mouth is I'm a nurse. I'm Landon, one of the nurses. nurses. Yeah. And I'll never say just the nurse, no. which is our, I know both of our pet peeves. Oh yeah. no, I'm just the nurse. Yeah. No. I am the nurse. Yes, exactly. One of the nurses, exactly. not just the nurse. Yeah. It? And it's interesting as the nurse practitioner, I introduce myself as the nurse practitioner and often the physicians will call me or the patients will call me phys- doctor mm-hmm. and I correct them and they keep calling me doctor. So it's a, it, it, very interesting whether it's a gender thing or it's an attitude thing or is it a professional, the way that you carry yourself professionally. I think very profound for me though in what you said was that Someone came up to a male physician I and loved said, it. are you the nurse? And, and you know, 25 years ago when, when I got into this gig, that, that would, would never, never have, happened. have happened. I know. It was no amazing. No one would walk up to a male in the hospital. And, and I think society at that point didn't even comprehend that men could, could be, be nurses. Could be nurses. I thought that was amazing. And, and so that, that's a... I actually wanted to get up and Was cheer. it an older patient or a younger person? It was an older patient. Interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. I loved it. I thought, wow, this is, and I, you know, being a fly in the wall watching what mm-hmm. was going on, I was thrilled about it. So I loved what you were talking about, the funnel and, and the differences and how we approach things differently. Because I do wonder if in some people's mind that when we talk about different professional backgrounds, different somehow means that some are more important or necessary than others. So instead of collaborative practice, in my philosophy I kind of like the term complementary practice what Mm -hmm. you said is we both we need both of those in order for it to function well so complementary practice for me addresses the concept of recognizing respecting and embracing the fact that physicians and nurses bring different but complementary skills to patient care after all Aristotle said that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and who could argue with Aristotle yeah well, he's, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, I could argue well with him. Yes, because he's dead. He doesn't talk much. No. <laughs> so, if EPs and RNs, or sorry, physicians, let's not just group yeah. emergency physicians. Yeah. Sorry, guys, if you're listening. Um, and girls, don't look at me like it's gender all over All over the place. again. I, I know. Yeah. Here we are. So, if physicians and nurses communicate differently, how do we ensure that when there's information that needs to be delivered related to patient care, it can be done accurately? Mm-hmm. And are there any tools out there that might help? So studies show that there are many advantages to using a standardized model. And you referenced this before that we kind of touched on that episodic, I need to communicate one item to you right now. Exactly. So SBAR is one of those communication Mm -hmm. models. And uh, interestingly enough, it was originally developed in the United States Navy as a communication mechanism used on nuclear submarines. Uh, later adopted by the hospital industries in the 90s at Kaiser Permanente in California as part of their efforts to focus, uh, foster a culture of patient safety. So again, we're, we're big soapboxers of this. Yeah. Everything we know, yes. we know from aviation. Yes. And we would be wise to listen to them yes. because they don't crash planes exactly. every day because exactly. they foster respectful communication. Yeah. And they have, you know, 200 and some patients at a given time. So SBAR allows healthcare providers to maintain a focus in the information transfer and keeps it concise, accurate, and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. SBAR is a two-way street, though. Yeah, I know. The, the, the receiver needs to be willing to hear, and, and the willingness to hear comes into the R, the recommendation. And yeah. so what I want you to do from this is blah, 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 blah. Exactly. I've actually, you know, in my own practice, totally not researched editorial time. Yes. I've actually started putting 
my request first. Yeah, me too. And where I, where this has come up, and I, maybe I've talked about it in a podcast before, I don't remember, because I do talk about it quite often, is now that I am the person on the phone on my way to do uh, critical care transfer, uh, we support the sites we go to over the phone. And sometimes they will phone while we're on their way there for, for the physicians or the nurses mm-hmm. for, for yeah. recommendations on hemodynamics, ventilation strategies, whatever. And I find sometimes I answer the phone and they start giving me this story and I'm listening to this very long story and I'm thinking, I'm what not they want? sure what yeah. you want. Yeah. And so then you get to a, a point and they go, so what I, and they try to use SBAR. And so my recommendation is, you know, yeah. I'll throw out a simple thing. We put in a Foley catheter and I'm yeah. like, whoa, so was not going down the Foley catheter road. Exactly. I, I was listening to the, uh, the norepinephrine dose and the ventilation mode you were on and your tidal volumes and sorry, why are you phoning me to ask yeah. about a catheter? Exactly. And yeah. I missed that he'd had prostate surgery two days ago. And she, you know, the nurse is worried about output versus yeah. doing more trauma. And so I've, I've sort of, I've changed the way I do it and go, the reason I'm calling today is yeah. I want recommendations on putting in a Foley catheter. Yeah. So let me tell you situation, background, like yes. however you frame it as yeah. far as one way. Yeah. I have found that that is so impactful in that, that, so the person looks at it with that lens all the way through. I agree with you. I it, think maybe this is a research paper that you and I should do, maybe. Hmm? We don't have time. I know, we don't. But I do the exact same thing, Landon. I When I consult a, a specialist, that's the first thing I do, is mm-hmm. I tell them, I'm calling you because I need your advice or I need you to come down to see the patient. And then I go into my information. Yeah. I kind of set it up so that they know what it is. And I think they listen more with a, um, a decision-making listening or uh, a more know, thoughtful listening. They know what you're getting at. Exactly. It's not, hi, I'm a nurse. I don't know what to do. Right. It's the pressure 60. We're at 40 of mics on yeah. the Levo. Yes. I want to know if you want me to go higher. Higher. Exactly. Or start an epinephrine infusion. Exactly. Now, here's all the story. Yeah. Remember, Perfect. my initial question was: Exactly. Want me to go higher on the levo or start yeah. an epinephrine infusion? Yeah. Because then they listen to it with that lens. With that lens. No, I and love that better. Anyway, it's yeah. just I Our, totally went is, off script. Yes, exactly. I, no, yeah. <laughs> I won't make a Trump reference. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where we are, to be honest. Okay. We. Well, we said earlier. So the S bar thing allows you to oh, right. focus on information transfer. It makes it concise and and it's episodic yeah right so we still need a general cultural change absolutely and that's basically what we're saying so let us talk about an example who patient comes into the ed with copd exacerbation physician standing at the bedside ordering several interventions nebs bipap whatever and internally the physician has a plan yeah but it might not be voiced Probably not. So the nurses wonder, why aren't we intubating this person? This person needs to be intubated. So really trying to foster that, hey guys, here's what I'm thinking. Here's plan A. Plan A is going to be, let's get some nebs in. Plan B is going to be BiPAP. Plan C is going to be intubation. And here's how we'll know we're heading down plan C. And I, I find, and this is totally anecdotal again, that our younger physicians are much better at talking out loud their plans yeah. and you know just a constant ramble of hey guys this is what I'm thinking now yes. can we get this next and if that doesn't work what we're looking at down the road is this can someone maybe go drop some intubation drugs yeah. obviously don't give them but that's going to be maybe 15 to 20 minutes from now if this doesn't turn around like there's a lot more of that discussion absolutely than, than the more senior physicians who I find pontificate a lot more. right and and not saying 
they're not smart. No. I would, you know, my, if I were to surmise something, mm-hmm. it would be that when they grew up as mm-hmm. physicians, nurses actually weren't taught as much as they are now. No, exactly. And so you could have that rambling discussion, mm-hmm. but when they grew up, nurses would sort of not necessarily be as, um, and it's, it's hard to say this because, you know, I don't want to be offensive to anyone. No, I understand. But the reality is even when I went to nursing school, I didn't learn as much as they do now. They come Absolutely. out like with all this physiology and everything. I was taught for the most part how to give medications on time. I Absolutely. had to know my drugs. I was a whiz at getting people up and out of their beds, which is all very effective. Yeah. But to stand there and have a conversation about treatment pathways, BiPAP versus nitrates versus yeah. this that was not something we were focused on in absolutely school. and the thing is landon i think we both have to acknowledge that technology moves forward absolutely and i think that if we did not there was no technology exactly. when we were in nursing school. And i, don't think it's I remember when we had thing. one pulse oximeter in the hospital right exactly yeah. <laughs> so at, at, we were at the cake conference where one of our uh, former colleagues dr tom lee won an award uh, for mentorship, I think, wasn't it? Or clinical education. Leadership and, Leadership yeah, and clinical education. education. And he just recently retired. Not that he needed to, because he is still probably one of the best diagnosticians I have ever worked with. But he said something to me that resonated and kind of speaks to what you were saying. He said, now that we're actually doing ECMO for cardiac arrest management, I'm out. Like, that's not what I learned in medical school or even in residency. It's not that I don't want, I can't learn it, but it's like, this is be, like, I don't think I want to take on that next step. So I think it's not, it's not insulting to have that discussion that back in the day that didn't happen. Right. This is now an expectation and we do have to move forward because otherwise you have this internal dialogue between physicians and nurses like, why aren't they doing this? Why are they doing this? And so there's a lot of ambiguity. So it's interesting because I recently had uh, listened to a TED Talk um, and it's by kind of the guru of effective leadership. His name is Simon Sinek. And his talk was called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And I'm going to try to paraphrase him here. He talked about something called the golden circle. Everyone everyone knows what to do 100% of the time. Some know how they do it, but very, very, very few organizations or people know why they do it. But it's the why that drives the behavior. He explains the why, how, what model is actually grounded in biology. And of course... Like every time we try to do a podcast. I know. It's this not is... the garbage truck this time. It's no. a leaf blower. I can't believe it. It's quite something, isn't it? And so when we look at a cross-section of okay, the brain... Okay, well first, we oh, totally sorry. waited for the leaf blower to go away. Okay. So now carry on. Okay. So looking at the cross-section of the brain from the top down, it corresponds with this golden circle that uh, Simon Sinek talks about. And he says, we start at the top with our newest evolutionary brain, our homo sapien brain. It is our what? It is responsible for all our rational, analytical thought and language. And the middle two sections make up our limbic brain, which is for feelings, trust, and loyalty. It's also responsible for all human behavior and decision-making. It doesn't have any capacity for language. So if you only communicate with the what, people can understand vast amounts of complicated information, features, and benefits, and facts, and figures, but it just doesn't drive behavior. 
When we tell people the why, we are talking directly to the part of the brain that controls behavior. Then we allow people to rationalize it with the tangible things we say and do, which is what you and I just talked about when we change our S-bar. Totally. Because we're asking them, telling them the why, we're calling them, and then we give them the what, all the information, which is why it changes our I think behavior. we've got something there. We should copyright I know, that. we should totally do that. So back it's the to, WS bar, the exactly. Y, Y's Y's bar. bar. <gasps> wow. <Y's> bar. <laughs> I love it. You heard it. it here first. You should have seen the looks on our faces. That was the best. So kind of back to that, that example you gave, Landon. If the physician was discussing with the patient or the nurses the reason why the team was choosing to go that route first before maybe thinking about intubation, that would help us, all of us as a team, be more effective in providing care. We may have gotten the drugs ready. We may have done all these other things around there to support the care and therefore make it a little bit more engaging of everybody in there. So I guess, you know, in the end, we need to acknowledge that nurses and physicians communicate differently. More importantly, though, we need to develop some strategies that mm -hmm. may be useful in creating a more effective relationship. So one is interprofessional education, simulation. We're huge sim fans. Yeah. We, we need to simulate so yeah. that we can find where we may or may not communicate well. Yeah. We need to include yeah. how to communicate at nursing school and in medical school big shocker right come on people yeah exactly like we, i know in my nursing school every year we had this like fluff course on ethics and blah 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 mm -hmm. you know what i'd probably be way better served by having a course every year in nursing school on yeah. communication simulation absolutely yeah uh interprofessional rounds uh maybe change the time of rounds to make sure that frontline nurses can attend yeah. Um, is there a time of day, you know, rounds are often at, you know, three in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, right when everyone's busy, could you do it at seven in the morning? Yeah. Keep some night nurses around. Exactly. Release at seven in the mornings, typically not jump in running already. You know, just some thoughts anyway. And even With the maybe, goal being include more people. Exactly. So. And maybe even where you have the rounds, right? If it was right. like right in the middle of the... I guess, you know. A room attached to your department apartment. where you could grab yeah. everyone if needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Medi medical and resuscitation debriefs is also a big thing. So mm -hmm. uh, give equal opportunity for nurses and physicians to, to speak. Yeah. And um, it was interesting because we, when we presented at CAPE, yeah. we presented with uh, Dr. Rose, yes. Stuart Rose, who's big on medical debriefing and, and has published on this and runs programs on it. And, and he said something that I have since taken forward in a lot of the things I do, not only in healthcare, whereas he, the, the power dynamic in the room. So in his example, it was the physician because he works at a hospital where mm -hmm. the physicians lead things. But the, the person who's most powerful in the room or the leader always goes last yeah. because it's great for the, the, the team leader to say, well, I thought that went well, everyone. Mm -hmm. How did you think it went well? Well, is, yeah. is a nurse who's not quite a hundred percent confident and maybe that things didn't go well are they going to then say well i thought that didn't go well of exactly. course not so yeah. go with all of the low you know not low people but the people at in the team that were not in leadership positions first yes and then have your leaders go mm -hmm. it's Much, great learning for the leader too totally and yeah. i've started doing that in lots of other arenas where i do debriefs and it's amazing and you sort of get people trying to look at you like yeah 
Are, were you happy with this, weren't yeah. you? And it's like, I'm not going to show you. Yeah. I want to hear what you truly yeah. believe. And yeah. then I'll tell you whether I think things went well or not. And sometimes my opinion changes as it goes around the circle. And I'm Me like, too. well, I thought that went better than I guess everyone else did. So yeah. my response is just that. Yeah, Authentic. exactly. I thought it went well. But now that I've heard from all of you, maybe it didn't go as well. So yeah. And maybe I need learning. to change my perspective. Totally. Yeah, and I do that as the chair of committees. We were just talking about yeah. that. I always let everybody else speak before I speak because I think I gain a perspective that I may not have gained if I allowed them to do that first. Well, it's interesting because um, we were teaching a course or facilitating a course called EPIC. And it was fascinating because at one point I played the physician and I came into the simulation and I asked, you know, who was in charge and the nurse leader who was in charge spoke up. But when uh, she wanted to talk about the airway, she actually gave that. She goes, now, let's use you for an example. She goes, now, Landon was dealing with the airway. Was there something you wanted to say, Landon, about the airway? And by her actually giving that person almost the, the control, the, control. the talking stick. Yeah, yeah, to come up and speak. It really made a huge difference in that respect. And and she kind of, the, the nurse kind of came up and you could see her grow in importance and strength. Like, oh, this is my moment to shine. And I quite liked that. Interesting. So as, as we're not physicians, we do not want to presume to know what lessons they have learned from nurses. But a nursing blog called nurse.com, which is by an RN physician, Megan O'Keefe, yeah, she was an RN for us, I think. a physician. Yeah. I guess you could go the other way, too. Yeah, you could, couldn't you? Wow, that would there be something interesting. There you went. There was your judgment there, yeah, Monique, exactly. right away. Recently wrote a blog about what nurses could learn from physicians. One, and this, this is neat, right? Yeah. One, quote literature. Yeah. Please, if there's one thing you do in your career, stop saying, I heard. Yeah. Or just because someone in. did it the day before that way, yeah. that that's the right way. Quote literature. You don't have to be a physician to have evidence-based practice. Yep. It is easily accessible now on the internet. Go and read a study. Yeah. And then absolutely. go to your physician colleagues and say, well, it's funny, I was reading a study. Exactly. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Best not to do it at the bedside in the middle of a resuscitation. No. Have the conversation before. Use the C words. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Which are? <laughs> Consult and colleague. Yeah. Yeah. We should be able to discuss clinical ambiguities and tough decisions professionally between yeah. nurses and physicians. And we should be calling them. I, I often say my physician colleague, my nurse colleague. Totally. Because it kind of levels, to me, the playing field the, a little the bit. The playing field needs to be leveled. Yeah. We all just do different things. Yes, absolutely. Don't apologize for doing your job. <sighs> I know. Don't go to a physician and say, I'm sorry to bother you. Or phone them and when they answer, say sorry. Sorry to wake you up. No, it's your job. Yes, exactly. We share a common goal called optimal patient care. Mm -hmm. Instead of apologizing, perhaps say thank you for getting back to me. I know you've had a busy day. Yeah, so thanks Something for getting like back that. to me. Absolutely. So why don't you summarize the Absolutely. last 30-some so minutes and leaf blower. <laughs> exactly. So in summary, communication failures between physicians and nurses are the root cause of 60 to 70% of adverse effects. Two, collaborative practice or... Complementary practice leads to better patient and fa family outcomes, more efficient healthcare services, and higher levels of satisfaction among healthcare providers. Three, in hospitals, the hierarchical relationship, particularly the male-female hierarchy, was the one that was most operative rather than the doctor-nurse one, and we need to change that. We really need to not have it be a gender um, issue anymore. And this is the hash me too 
world right. we live in and we should not still be having this same discussion for it's studies the, it's a hashtag did, what did i say hash me too oh dear hashtag me too see again showing my age four studies show that there are many advantages to using a standardized model to communicate um, there's the s bar but you can use the monique and landon the wise, wise bar, bar. To give the why first. And look at that. Why drives human behavior. So we actually have some research or some evidence to support the why should come first. And uh, six, develop interprofessional strategies to improve communication. Well, I think that's it. That was great. That was great talking about talking. It's not well, great. Who knew yeah. Monique could talk, talk for 40 about minutes talking. about talking. <laughs> Monique can talk about anything, including talking. talking. So we will see you next time. Thank next you very time. much. Have a good month, I guess. Yeah. We do it monthly. So have a have great a good month. month. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, Ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca